So I want to talk to you tonight about knowing a bigger God. Really knowing about how uh, great and how pure he is. His power, his splendor and his beauty in a way that can make a bigger difference in our lives. We're looking at one of my favourite passages tonight. I'll tell you what it is in a second if you haven't got a newsletter on you. And I've spoken about it a few times before. I certainly mentioned it in a few of my talks here. But even as I was reflecting this week on a really well-known passage uh, to me from Scripture, my understanding of it uh, and of the God that I love and worship, as I read and reflected, it, it grew through doing it. And I hope that's going to be um, the same for us tonight. That as we reflect on this passage, our understanding, our, our trust in God can grow even bigger. On Monday and Tuesday this week, uh, Patrick, Stephen and I were away at a conference and I was already thinking and reflecting about what I was going to say at this passage. And at least three of the speakers mentioned in passing, but in important points in their talks, in their talks about this passage that we're doing tonight or bits related to the passage we're doing tonight about the Ark of the Covenant. And at the heart of those messages, of those talks, was about this sort of, of the whole conference was about allowing God to be God, to recognise his power and allow it to flow and be at work in our lives, to see this big God at work. And that we're thinking about it tonight, having been reflecting on it and at this away conference. I don't think it was a coincidence that we were at this conference and we're doing this passage tonight. I think God is really wanting us tonight, here, but also his church generally in this country, really to grow in confidence of who he is, be aware of his power and allow him to be bigger in our lives. So let's look at tonight's uh, passage. It's on page 309 of the church Bibles. We're looking at, so it's 2 Samuel chapter 6. I'm not going to read all of it, but I'm going to sort of explain bits of it as we go along and dip in and out of a few verses sort of throughout my talk rather than just have it read to us. I hope that is okay. Um, You can read it at your leisure later on. Uh, Before we get in, I'm just going to give you a quick update of where we're at in this series as well. So if you remember last week, we were with David hiding in a cave from King Saul, who was out to get him. And King Saul didn't know where he was, went into the cave um, to relieve himself, um, that David happened to be hiding in with all his men, but David showed him mercy. And we left uh, last week with Saul um, uh, seeing the mercy that David had shown him and saying, I'm not going to. Uh, I'll, I'll leave you alone. That change of heart from Saul did not last long, and Saul went back after David not, uh, not very long after that, and Saul kept on with his uh, back turned towards God, following his own ways. And basically, Saul's luck and trusting in himself eventually runs out. First of all, we have uh, Saul's son, sadly including Jonathan, uh, die in battle with the Philistines. David, after that, um, 
that passage that I spoke on two weeks ago, it's not, David never gets to see Jonathan again. It's really sad. So Saul's sons uh, die in battle. And then Saul ends up dying too. Well, in fact, he ends up having to kill himself after losing yet another battle in the Philistine, with the Philistines, trusting in himself. Uh, the battle, he gets defeated and he's fleeing from the Philistines, realises he can't outrun them, he's going to be caught and he falls on his own sword to kill himself rather than be uh, tortured and then probably killed by the Philistines himself. And so Saul is dead. And to cut a long story short, uh, David has now become king. David is anointed king about 30 years, they reckon, after he was anointed by Samuel to become the next king. He actually finally does become king 30 years later. That's some good patience there, isn't it? So David becomes king. He, because he trusts God, he doesn't lose the Philistines. He defeats them. He unites the kingdom of Israel, which has split, split up. He unites it back together in chapter 5. And then we're on chapter 6 now, having been uh, established as king and establishing uh, the Is- uh, becoming king and uniting it together. We're on chapter 6 now. What does David want to do? He wants to bring the Ark of the Covenant the ark in which God's powerful presence was said to reside. He wants to bring it back into the heart of the community from the wilderness. He wants to bring it back into B in Jerusalem, the city of David, at the centre of the nation. This ark, when it was made, um, God's presence resided and lived in it. The Ten Commandments were, uh, were put in it along with a few other things. And when it was put in the temple, God's cloud descended on it. And his presence, it was the symbol of, of God really being and living on earth uh, among his people. When the people were camping in the wilderness, they camped around it with it at the centre. When they moved, the ark would be carried on the shoulders of the people out in front with the people following behind it. It was powerful. Has anybody here seen the film Raiders of the Lost Ark? Just out of curiosity. Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, I don't need to say it, I don't want to ruin it to anybody. Have you ever noticed in that film how Indiana Jones, I learned this from the Big Bang Theory, um, how Indiana Jones plays actually... Um, makes no difference to the outcome of that movie whatsoever. He spends the entire time trying to get or stop the Nazis from discovering the Ark, getting them to dig in the wrong place, but they eventually dig in the wrong place. He tries to stop them from getting it, but they eventually get it. He tries to stop them from taking it to the place where uh, they want to take it, but they take it to the place anyway. And then he says, oh, well, let's just close our eyes, because when you open it, God's presence will like, annihilate the whole people. And you sit at the end of the end of the movie and you're thinking, well, if you knew that, why didn't you just let them do it? You could have got it there quicker, they'd have opened it, tried to use God's power, they've been annihilated. That's kind of the, the, the power and the symbol of, of what we're kind of talking about here in the art. God's presence is incredibly powerful and awesome. Probably not accurate in the Raiders of the Lost Ark, but I'm trying to just get at, a, get at the point there. This, this ark was sort of a symbol of God's power, of his awesome um, presence amongst his people and David wants to bring it back to Jerusalem 
Interestingly, the, the Israelites had lost the ark a long time ago, back in the start of uh, 1 Samuel, actually. Uh, the nation had, uh, had been... A, basically, they turned, they'd already started turning their back on God, even back then. And uh, they were in another battle with the Philistines, Israel's perpetual enemies back then, and they were losing it. They were ignoring God in their day-to-day lives, and they were losing a battle, and they had this bright idea. I know, let's whip the Ark of the Covenant out of the, uh, out of the temple, bring it to the battle, and, uh, and then we'll just let God do it, and then that'll be fine. Bish, bash, bosh, done. A bit like Raiders of the Lost Ark scene. But God actually was not impressed with that. He was not impressed that they were just using him for their own benefit and ignoring him the rest of their lives. So God actually allowed the Philistines to win the battle and uh, Israel lost the ark. See, the people back then had had this picture uh, uh, of, of God that they didn't need to listen to him and could just bring him out when they were in need themselves, but not bother following or listening to him in the rest of their lives. And that's not the kind of relationship that God wanted with his people. And I hope you realize it's not the kind of relationship that God wants with us, his people, now either. He wants us to be people that are continually looking at him and trusting in him. Do read the beginning of 1 Samuel. I'm not going to tell you tonight, but there's some really interesting stuff that happens with the ark after the Philistines take it, but we haven't got time to go into that tonight. So anyway, David wants to bring the ark back. And it's uh, in this place, uh, what's it called? Uh, in Bala of Judah. So David uh, wants to bring God God's presence, this symbol, this ark, back to the heart of the community. And in the first five verses of chapter 6, we see men. uh, David gather his men, about 30,000, and he goes to this place of Bala, along with some priests as well, and uh, a cart and some oxen oxen to go and uh, bring the ark back. So they get the ark out, they whack it on this cart, and start off uh, to Jerusalem, uh, processing, dragging uh, the ark behind them as they go. And it seems like quite a a happy event. But then we get to verse 6. There's tambourines and cymbals in all this, so they're they're pretty happy. And then we get to chapter 6, which might come as a bit of a surprise to us. I'm just going to read a few of them out. I'm going to go to verse 10, but I'm going to do follow it, but I might not read every single uh, part of every single verse. So, when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah, who's one of the priests, reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Verse 9, David was angry, oh sorry, David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? And he was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him. 
in the city of David. That's another name for Jerusalem. What's going on here? How did that happen? What is going on? Well, I think the short answer is David needed, still even then, a bigger picture of who God is. The Old Testament scholars amongst us would have been sitting a bit uneasy when they heard that description of how David sought to bring the ark back. I hinted about it and how the ark was treated or got the instructions that God gave it to be treated back at the start, didn't I? When this ark was made, God had given the people instructions of how they were to behave around it. Even though David's intentions were good, the way that David was transporting and treating the ark, and even Uzzah, in particular, Uzzah reaching out to touch the ark, was totally against what God had said and warned them about it. Their actions were belittling and reducing who God was and who he is. God is this holy holy, beyond our imagination, powerful being. He wasn't and couldn't be touched directly by people back then because he was just so totally powerful and different from others. And in these clear instructions as well, that it's touched by humans. Um, and also back then, God had, had given clear instructions on how the ark was to be transported. Do you remember I said it was to be out in front And not only that, it was never to be carried on a cart. It was to be carried above in poles resting on the shoulders of his people. Above and over his people with them following behind it. It was never meant to be on a cart being dragged behind oxen and others. It was never meant to be at the back. We know that David loved God. We've seen it in these stories. But this story goes to show, actually, that we can all have our understanding and picture of who God is expanded. We need to keep both sides of God fresh in our mind. A God that is close and that wants to be with us. But a God that is also incredibly powerful and pure that needs to be trusted and followed in his words and the way he guides us. I wonder if we in our lives sometimes have the order a bit messed up and the wrong way round, like David did at the start of this story. We have this idea of what we want to do and we go for it. And expect God to come trotting behind us and bless our own ideas and our own thoughts. Rather than allowing and recognising that he is to be before and above us. We are to follow what he is doing. Follow his lead, his words, his advice. I think if we're honest we all do that from time to time. And without doing it, we can limit the power of God in our lives. 
And I'm not saying this, I don't want to sort of make us feel guilty, but I just want us to, to see something about how amazing and incredible this God that we worship is. He is over, he is above us in a glorious and great and amazing way. And we need to put our trust and hope in him and follow after him and not just want to go about our lives expecting him to show up when we want him to be. We can often, I think, I certainly feel like this, feeling like we're trying to drag God in to our lives in certain situations, almost like as an afterthought. If I can't do this in my own strength, I'll pray. If I can't do this in my own strength, then let's trust God, rather than let's trust God and see where he is working in this situation. How might he want me to behave when I go there? How might he want me to be with that person? What might he want me to pray for that person? What does he want rather than what do I want? Going back to this conference, many of the speakers have this strong desire for the church to be people that are simply confident in the power of God to bring transformation, to put our trust in it, to pray for God's spirit to be at work, to follow its leading. I don't know about you, but I think that's something the country desperately needs. We've already mentioned uh, the B word at the moment um, earlier in our prayers, didn't we? It's interesting, I've got the B word written down here. That's exactly what Patrick said. (laughs) We need to trust God's power in all those big things that affect all of us, but also in the big things that impact our lives that might not be big for other people. Trust God's leading. Allow his power. That is beyond what we can imagine. Come in and bring transformation. So what happens in our passage? David doesn't give up in God. He goes back and reflects and then he decides he's going to, he sees the blessing that God brings and he goes back to get the ark. Um, Verse 13. This tells us how he went to get it this time. Verse 13. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord, had taken six steps. Did you notice that? They were carrying the ark this time. It was out in front. They take six steps and the people were following behind the ark. They celebrate it and joy comes and David gets it all the way back into Jerusalem and great blessing comes to the nation of Israel with God at the center and under David a king who was following God's instructions the nation of Israel grow and flourish and become strong they become respected amongst the people back then yes there's still mistakes that happen and there's still hints that not all is perfect but with God at the heart and at the blessing of the community. God at the heart of the community, it brought blessing to the nation. And David was so excited in following uh, God's blessing that he was even willing, 
even as king, highly respected, to look a fool in following or for following God's way. And this is why I love this uh, passage so much. He dances, we're told, uh, half naked, I think it says in here. It says David wearing a linen ephod. In a later translation, it says half naked. So David the king is dancing with all his might, um, wearing a linen ephod, which is like underwear, um, with all his might, while he and the entire house of Israel brought the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and triumph into the city. He's doing it in front of everybody. Some people didn't like that. Michael, his, um, hit one of his wives, uh, didn't like it at all that David did this. But as we see, David is more concerned what people think. And he says later, uh, verse 21, it was before the Lord. It was before the Lord. And then 22, I will become even more undignified than this. And I will become humiliated in my own eyes. David is willing to do whatever it takes in trusting and following God. How prepared are we to do that? Are we prepared to allow God to lead us even if it makes us look foolish? Even if we think what God is asking us to do is foolish? I was thinking about how I could demonstrate a willingness to look foolish in front of people. And I didn't think it would be appropriate to dance in my underwear in front of you. (laughs) Sorry. Um, So I thought I'd do the next best thing. Those of you that know me reasonably well know how I hate dressing up in front of people. Please don't ever invite me to a fancy dress party. Um, So what could I do being willing to look foolish for God? I thought I'd do the next best thing and uh, put my onesie on that is normally just reserved for when I'm cold and on the sofa at home. It's okay to look foolish for God and follow his leading. It's okay to look foolish for God and follow his leading. I wonder if some of us might be thinking about situations that we have in our lives and we're asking that similar question that David asked at the start. How can God come to me or come to that situation? Well, I think the simple answer is we just need to expand our mind and remember how big and how awesome God is and trust him. And unlike the people back then, we live in a very different time as well. You see, the presence that was in the ark, we no longer have to come to church to be in God's presence, do we? You see, God did something incredible through Jesus. This incredible, powerful presence that brought blessing and transformation for that entire nation now lives within us. It is around us all the time. God's Holy Spirit comes, God himself, into our lives 
when we put our trust in what Jesus has done. When Jesus came to earth and died for us on that cross, what he was doing is God was putting to death, taking away all the impurity, all the bad stuff, all the things that we get wrong and we mess up in our life. He was dealing with it and taking it away and putting it to death so that God's awesome, incredible, pure power of himself would not need to be shut away or kept in a box, but could come and be with us and in us and over us wherever we go by his Holy Spirit. The same power the Bible tells us that raised Christ from the dead comes and lives in us. Is our understanding, our picture of God, big enough to get our minds around that? Are we going to trust this incredible blessing that God has given us? Are we going to follow the Spirit living in us? Are we going to trust God's words that he's given us in here? Even when they might make us look foolish. God is before us. God is in all the places where we go. But we need to go in those places trusting in his way. Not trying to drag him in when it suits us. But go in knowing that he is there before us. He is with us and following his call. Even if it looks foolish. Let's pray with confidence. Let's pray with boldness. Let's share God's love in our words without shame. And let's not care about how we may look like. Because I think when we do that, God's power will work. Because it's God's power that makes the difference, not our own. Let's all put on, be clothed with this power from on high. Let's all put on our spiritual onesies, as it were, and trust God's way. Amen.